I think online IDs are just going to be very synonymous with development in general. You won't even think about it. It's just the way I think we've gotten to a point where if you have, for example, any internet connected phone, for the most part, you have a backup of your pictures on, on the internet. So as someone that has always been a fan of the web, because I've always pictured the web as regardless of any innovation that we come across in the next generation or whatever, the web is always going to have a part to play because it's always accessible on literally any device. I can access a browser on my PlayStation, <laughs> right? <laughs> any device would eventually have some kind of connection to a web setup or whatever at any point in time. And I think building for the web would always continue to evolve. And the way IDs would need to get to the point is that it will be so fast to build anything or to start anything off, which makes which means that browsers in their own right to be very powerful. They are quite powerful right now, but they will be even more powerful. Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm your host, Paul, and today we are welcoming back to the podcast Adewale Abate, also known as Ace. So Ace, you are a developer advocate, right, for Code Sandbox, yes. and you're a senior engineer at Flutterwave. Oh, I used to be at Flutterwave. Oh, you used to be. Okay, so you moved on to Flutterwave, and now are you full-time with Code Sandbox? Yeah, I am full-time with Code Sandbox. Full-time is so awesome. So we wanted to get into some of the things you're working on with Code Sandbox and offer your recent talk you just gave, right, yeah. um, about developing in the browser. So we're going to talk about developing the browser and, and any other things we can pick your brain about and learn about how you think we're moving in development in 2022. So welcome to the podcast, Ace. Thank you, Paul. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm really glad to have you on because I'm a fan of Code Sandbox. Like I've used it pretty much every week, right? I mean, it's it's a useful right. tool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I see it all over the place. Um, yeah. So it's kind of cool to see somebody from that side of the organization. We can ask you questions. So how, how'd you get into Code Sandbox? Like what attracted you to their technology and ethos? Yeah, I mean, it was quite the exciting journey, actually. I was looking to get like a new experience um, and just find the next opportunity for me. Uh, at the time I wanted to, I mean, I am still very passionate about the web, uh, but I was trying to position myself in a space where I could contribute to the web development generally. And also at the same time, you know, impact other people, be a part of the community. And seeing like the opening on Kosambox on Twitter was just like, felt like the perfect opportunity because Kosambox itself is trying to shape how we build for the web uh, over the next few years. And at the same time, the community is like an active community of web developers that are building like amazing things. So I was like, this is the perfect blend of, you know, being in a space where I can see what people are building. I can be inspired to build stuff. And at the same time, be a member of the community and just impact people um, talking about what Prosambox is trying to do. So it just felt like the perfect blend, positioning myself in the center like of the web uh, and the ecosystem as a whole, and just contributing my own part to it. So I was like, yeah, I have to, I have to apply to this. And thank God it went, it went well. <laughs> what an answer. That's like, you, you took a job of the heart in that decision. You, were, you really must have felt, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I thought about it. <laughs> I thought about it. Because I, um, I have like a kind of wide array of experience. I've been a back-end engineer. I've been a front-end engineer, full-stack engineer, just trying to like understand how the web works. And for the like recent half of my career as well, I've spent more time in like dev advocacy. Uh, but I was trying to find a good balance between like developer relations and also continuing to code and contribute to like the web landscape itself. So just being able to balance those was like a decision I had to make at that time. And I'm glad it worked out. I mean, Code Sandbox has 
so much of that social aspect to it. I, I mean, one thing I love about my experience using it is people can kind of riff off of and iterate off of other people's ideas. And you sort of get this like tree of thought that spawns from it. I'm sure that's just like 1% of what you find uh, that's powerful about Code Sandbox. But before we get into the social stuff, I want to back up to something you said, which was Code Sandbox, they're trying to reimagine like the way we interact with development on the web in the next few years. Can we get into that for a few minutes? I'm really curious about what that package has inside. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, if you think about the, the journey of Code Sandbox, it started out as Ives, as our co-founder, um, trying to sh- figure out a way to share code with you know, colleagues and stuff. Uh, and it was primarily focused on React uh, in the beginning where you could just share React code but just by, by just sharing the link, right? Because if you think about it, first things first, if you want to think about sharing code today or even like at any point in time, you share a repository or a folder or even send it via email, right? But imagine sending like a, a whole like sandbox of a development environment already set up and you just have to like go into that space and see what's going on. Uh, so that's how Code Sandbox started, just like prototyping quickly, being able to like replicate snippets, see how things are working, debug on the go. Uh, but the way we are like reimagining our web development is going to work or is is working at the moment, to be honest, because we have projects live already in beta. Uh, and also uh, being able to contribute to open source even better, right? So what we've, what we've tried to do is leverage this entire connection between you know, just general web development and open source itself and create a platform where you can build on the go, right? And I'm like a living example for that because a few weeks ago, a few months ago, actually, my MacBook crashed on a live stream and I had to get like a new Windows laptop just like in the meantime while I replaced oh it. Oh my gosh. Anyway, and <laughs> wow, yeah. I, was, I was so lucky because a lot of my projects were on GitHub and all I had to do was just, um, you know, I purchased the new, the new Windows laptop and I just went straight to Code Sandbox and was just importing my project and just started working all in my browser. Till today, I have like zero development environment set up locally. I did not have to bother about, oh, this is a Windows, uh, this is what I need for Windows, what I needed on my Mac. I just ignored the entire operating system and just focused on my browser. So today I'm working on my website, my project, all in my browser without having to worry if I'm you know, on a Windows or on a MacBook, right? So it's, it has totally changed that experience. And to answer your question even in more detail, we've moved from a point where we are trying to prototype and build small projects quickly to being able to manage even large size JavaScript projects or you know front end full stack applications rather uh, at scale. Um, initially, Escali Draw. I don't know if you know Escali Draw is a very amazing tool. Extrali Draw. Uh, yeah, the drawing tool. Yeah, gotcha, yeah the drawing yeah. tool. It started on Code Sandbox as like you know, just a sandbox, and they outgrew the need of just like a prototyping tool, and they moved off. Uh, but today, project Code Sandbox project totally supports building something as big as a Scali Draw on Code Sandbox project. So that's that's the progression we made, and that's where we are today, being able to support this large open source project or just web applications in general. I think that's amazing. I've never heard or fathomed that this little tool I use could do that. So j- just to reiterate. Code Sandbox right now can support and create a development environment for a shared space for a project as big as the Excalibur, which we all know and love. Yes, I I can go on and on about that. Like it's it's amazing. It blows my mind. I have my personal website running totally on Code Sandbox. I just if I have to make any updates, I either use my iPad or my laptop. Just just go to the branch and just set it up right. Um, and one amazing thing that also comes into play, actually, with this large size project, is that with Code Sandbox, we also create a development 
environment by URL, right? So if you create a new branch, that branch has its own dev environment that when you send in a PR, whoever is trying to review your PR can just go straight to that link and they see what you've done without having to set up like literally anything. They're like, okay, this is the changes you made. This is what you've done. Then they can approve or just reject or whatever the case is, right? Or even collaborate with you on that branch and then make the match. So it's not about, oh, someone has sending a PR, we have to clone it first, or we have to like, you know, pull that branch first and see how everything is working. You just go to a link and you see how everything is going like in seconds. So it's like, we call it every branch has its own unique URL. So it's it's very smooth and very powerful at this point, what, what's possible with projects. I mean, that's one thing that really grinds my gears with Git is checking out other people's PRs, downloading them, and it never works. And you got to figure it out, and then you get it to work, and then you can put the comments. And and that's that's a process. It's development time. Yeah, exactly. So I maintain a project. Yeah, I maintain an open source project myself. So it's a typical scenario is even if I have like direct communication lines with the person, I'm like, oh, you made this. Uh, this is not working correctly. You have to go fix this way, and then we wait, and it takes like forever. And that's even taking you no, know, not putting into consideration the time it took you to set it up. Uh, in another situation, especially with code sandbox. Um, once the person sends in a PR, you can go to the branch. The person can be on the branch with you, and you guys you know, talk about it or collaborate right on that spot in that branch in your browser, and you fix everything that you need to fix, and then the PR is meshed straight up like that without any additional time wasted on setup. And I think that's like that's such a lifesaver, to be honest. I mean, the, every hour you spend on a developer is like a hundred company dollars between the HR and, and everything else. So. It translates into, I can see that translating to direct company value if it saves people time and they use that time effectively. Yeah. And since we are in private beta, um, public beta right now, actually, we are just trying to you know, spread the word to let people know what's now possible uh, and, and get people to just try it out for themselves and see how, how much time and effort uh, this, this project is going to save them. Yeah. Enjoying the podcast? Consider hitting that follow button for more great episodes. So, I'm I'm pretty sure if anybody who's used to a traditional environment yeah. coming into a code sandbox type of world, they're going to have a lot of concerns, worries, and questions. Um, sort of like if Tesla comes out with their car and they say, yes, it, it can drive to California and there's like no chargers in Nevada. And then you say, okay, <laughs> well, I wanted to make sure the infrastructure was there and what I needed to get my task done was there. So what do you think is one of the most common concerns, even if it's not a real concern? Just something that people think about in their own mental models that they might come to you with and they're like, hey, does it do this? Like, can I l- run my learner project? Like, what what's the most common one or some of the most common ones? I mean, there, there are a few. Uh, let me just think for a sec. Um, there are a few obstacles in just getting people to come over. Um, first is that people you know, are just so used to their local environment and their resistance to change. Uh, I'm just trying to show that you can still get the same workflow and you know, a familiarity with your editor. Uh, on Code Sandbox project itself. And even recently, we just you know announced uh, the Visual Studio Code integration. So right from your own local studio, um, Visual Studio installation locally on your laptop, you can still work on projects and take advantage of all the benefits, right? Um, I think another thing people would ask about would be, hmm, let's see, if you support any other language outside of JavaScript. Mm-hmm. And it's a thing that we've been experimenting with as well, with Docker and Nix, just trying to support multiple uh frameworks, even languages in general. So regardless of your stack, you can still build on projects. So it's a work in progress, but that's like one one uh, one area that people ask about before they you know start considering moving over. So if I had like a Python 
script in my JavaScript repo. I, I have this right now for a project. I have this serverless function. There's a Python script to sort of like do load testing. Just one file. It's like 80 lines. Is that something that I would want to run with some environment locally pinging a staging from my Code Sandbox project? Or could I still include the text file in the branch? I mean, you can still include it. And like I mentioned, we've, we've been trying to um, provide even better support for Docker, for example. Uh, so a recommended approach for that kind of repository would be using like a Docker setup uh, to just, um, you know, go into it. I mean, there might be a better approach right now, but just off the top of my head, uh, we, we support Docker already, um, although it's a work in progress. Uh, and you'll be able to do that with yeah, with projects as well. Gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, if you put it in a Docker container, you can do anything, right? So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I, what do you think is one of the most sticky sort of mental shifts that people have when hopping into the code sandbox workflow? Is it the no Mac, no PC, like type of thing? Is it managing dependencies? I mean, like I said, it's still just uh, moving away from your local environment. Um, a lot of people are just resistant to change. Um, but one thing I found, especially making this move when I lost, when my laptop got spoiled was technically it is smooth. Uh, but I just have to be able to like have a learning curve to understand this is how this application, because there are multiple ideas on the web, right? This is how this application has approached uh, this solution. Uh, so you, when you when you are using projects these days, you are able to start up your own terminal right in the browser as well, and you can do most of the things that you need to do uh, locally with your own terminal, right? But I think that phase of just ad, as accepting to adopt this new change, uh, it's like a little bit of a learning curve where okay, this is no longer my local environment, but it can provide even better you know uh, value for me than my own local environment, and just trying to adapt to it would uh, would be a process as well. And do you think that that adjustment happens quickly when people like step into it? Do they realize like Google Docs? When I saw Google Docs, I was like, "That's it. I'm never installing Word again." <laughs> uh, is that the type of reaction you get? Or it, it is a little bit mixed, right? Because um, some people are just you know not so optimistic and just want to like protect their application, even though Codesandbox is quite secure. But there's there's a period of convincing there, and there are, we've also seen other people where just trying it out once and they're like sold completely, like. Oh my God, this is like the next thing to slice bread. <laughs> uh, it's like the next best thing to slice bread, right? And for for those kind of people, they're like early adopters or just enjoy the benefits, the features that we provided for them. Because um, the editor has been set up in a way that it's it's very similar to what your local environment would look like. We try as much as possible to not introduce like jarring changes. Uh, so if you if you picture like your VS Code environment, for example. Uh, what you would see on the browser is also very similar to that. It's your like file explorer on the left. Uh, you can set up terminals on the menu and all of those things. So we try as much as possible to keep the UX as similar as possible, where the things you need to do are quite intuitive. Uh, but I would not. I can just dismiss the fact that there would be a little bit of resistance or like a learning process just for you to get more familiar or more comfortable with the environment. So yeah. And what what is the environment that runs? underneath is it a, an ubuntu based type of thing like what are the gears inside to be honest i don't, I don't have like full intel on that but i know um recently we actually um i know we run um micro vms um we recently published a firecracker post i think that's actually on linux but don't take my word for it <laughs> uh, i would have to go back to confirm but i think we run a bunch of uh, micro vms to try and make sure that the you know starting up time is as fast as possible 
uh, especially when it comes to branching and fucking a, a new um, repository or whatever the case is. It happens in like milliseconds, right? Uh, so a lot of these things are, are done just leveraging on micro VMs to be able to increase the speed, increase productivity, and not worry about, like you basically feel like you just took a picture and you continue where you stopped, right? So that's, that's, um, that's the thing we're looking into. For example, we just published a post on Firecracker and how we use it, and that covers most of our infrastructure in terms of how people can get environments running. Gotcha. Okay, so we can go look at the Firecracker post and search up yeah, uh, Code yep. Sandbox, and it'll probably pop up because it's a... Yeah, Firecracker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So do you think that having everything on the... on we're, we're, all, we're all on one development environment, sort of. Like one kernel, probably a lot of... Environments and micro VMs are going to be spawned from some kernel spec that's going to be similar between all of them, and it's going to standardize to some degree JavaScript development. And I'm sure that's going to let people share their development, not just amongst their teams, but Code Sandbox was built for sharing, right? Um, do you think that's going to translate from, you know, oh, 25% of code is open source today? Which don't, don't quote that. That's not true. I'm just like throwing a number out there. Let's say 25% of code is open source today. Do you think if we have a migration over to Code Sandbox. We'll see thirty-five percent of code become open source. I, I don't know for sure, but I think it's, we definitely would have an impact on the ease at which you can contribute to open source. Uh, and um, a lot of the backbone of the projects that we build require you to also have like a version control that's Git itself, like foundation of your project. Uh, so if you are someone that wants to build a public-facing project, uh, you would definitely lean towards just making it open source once and for all. Uh, but we we've been inclined to just support a ton of this uh, this kind of projects. Um, hmm. I'm not sure about the numbers, like you said, uh, but I definitely think uh, it will have an impact. So, to be honest, open source has been a huge like part of our entire like mission as well. Just trying to improve the entire process, make it as easy as possible, make it like very intuitive for people to just easily contribute to open source. So. Uh, definitely we, we're going to have an impact on how much more people contribute and how much easy, how easier it becomes for people to just understand the entire open source process and start you know, building or adding to stuff. Yeah. It's Emily again, producer for PodRocket, and I want to talk to you. Yeah, you, the person who's listening but won't stop talking about your new favorite front-end framework to your friends, even though they don't want to hear about it anymore. Well, I do want to hear about it because you're really important to us as a listener. So what do you think of PodRocket? What do you like best? What do you absolutely hate? What's the one thing in the entire world that you want to hear about? Edge computing? Weird little component libraries? How to become a productive developer when your Wi-Fi is out? I don't know, and that's the point. If you get in contact with us, you can rant about how we haven't had your favorite dev advocate on or tell us we're doing great, whatever. And if you do, we'll give you a $25 gift card. That's pretty sweet, right? So reach out to us. Links are in the description. $25 gift card. Would you say that Code Sandbox is an open source first company? Yes, I would actually say that because it's actually some things we discuss uh, internally. Uh, we Code Sandbox itself was built on the community. The project started out uh, open source. And I don't want to give you a teaser, but even in the next few weeks, we've made an announcement that is driving us into even more open source uh, territory. 
but a lot of a lot of the features, a lot of the products that we built in recent times have been very open source driven. So we we are absolutely an open source first company. Uh, we have Sandpack, which is like changing how people build documentations, interactive like readmes. Because uh, in, in, we've come to a point where we've moved from you know just writing, even taking screenshots of code to put in your blog post to like embedding code sandbox, uh, embedding sandbox into your blog post to now having interactive code in your blog post, right? Even on your personal website where you want to do, for example, a step-by-step um, introduction to a technical problem. Sandpack allows you to basically run each step on the go and just customize the entire interactive environment in in your blog post. So uh, we've been very like inclined to just continue to improve the open source experience for as many people as possible. So that's called Sandpack? Yeah, Sandpack. You should definitely check it out. Gotcha. It's open source yeah, as well. I mean, that's how... <laughs> It's open source as well? Yes. I love to hear that. I love how companies in general are moving towards just making yeah. stuff yeah. open source. Um, I think it's coming to the realization too that like, especially for niche pieces of technology, like, oh, we have uh, this really cool JavaScript app. It's like any anybody with enough time and funding can go build that. It's not like, like code's becoming a commodity in a weird way. Um, so guarding it is that really the best decision not really i don't know it's something for the executives to figure out right so in in general having a uh, standardized development environment where i don't need to worry about my setup i just kind of go and everything I mean, all that stuff is really nice but one fear i would now selfishly love to pick your brain about is i feel as if if we if i talk to folks who have been my mentor teaching me computer science, they'll, they'll tell me how to compile C code with three different things <laughs> that I've only used one in my whole life. And then if I go to somebody that's five years or 10 years older than me, they have like knowledge of all these orchestration tools and like how to change environments. Oh, you want to use node this version or that version or this version? Like I wrote a script for you here, use this junior dev. And I say, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for teaching me. And it's almost like I have we're in a pyramid, and there's like a pyramid of base and knowledge down there. And then you get some people that are more niche on JavaScript on top of that. And then you have some people that are more niche on WebAssembly on top of that. And then you know you get nicher and nicher and nicher, and fewer and fewer people. But now I feel like it's getting flipped a little bit. It's like we're we're building a pyramid where we have, yeah, we have people who are really really good at making like a D three visualization, but they wouldn't know how to boot it on their computer. They, could, they only would do it in the, and maybe this is just me being afraid of like us losing knowledge, but. I think I can see where you're approaching it from. Yeah, I, I almost feel like we're flipping the pyramid of, of fundamental knowledge in some ways and um, looking at platforms that try to retain like original tooling environments and original terminal environments and stuff like that. I think it really will help us keep that base yeah if you have any thoughts on that i wonder do you agree you seemed like you were smiling a bit like you're not sure if you agree so i'm curious what you think yeah i mean i'm not really sure how that would play out because um at first i thought about you know abstraction and how people just you know make it easier for as many more people to do stuff uh but they might not be able to understand what's the underlying part of it and just you know go for it and i feel like that's kind of keeps the pyramid going uh because the higher you go the the more abstraction you would get. Uh, and that's like fewer people making the abstraction easier for like a larger number of people. So although although there might be like, I don't know, interesting cases where the reverse is the case, like you explained, 
I think in the long run, um, there are just going to be more people that just want to get more stuff done than even like just be very knowledgeable, right? They just want to get stuff done. So they're just going to make take advantage of the work of like the few uh, to be able to do like as many things as they can possibly do without like getting their hands too dirty, right? So I think just that mindset of, oh, let me just do this thing as quickly as possible. We keep the pyramid. I like that a lot. I think you might have changed my mind. It's like, it's not that there's, it's not that there's less people who know how to compile code. It's just, there's more people coding because more people are enabled. Exactly. Like, for example, I know, right? In Lagos here, where we have like a a few, we have a community driven learning process where like a lot of people come together just to learn how to code. And you have like, say, two, three educators impacting like 1,000 people at a go, uh, the, the level or the amount of people that come into tech, like as beginners, is just exponentially higher than people that are currently inside. And it just continues to grow like that. And gradually, they would, of course, step into like higher levels. Uh, but there's just that, there's just that like that exponential difference in the different levels. And the lower the levels, the more people I think are present there. Interesting. Okay. That's, that's I guess it's just different being in... Um a web-centric world sometimes where you lose communicating with those people. But I I can totally understand if you're in like a more in-person meetup and you're educating each other, you you see the whole breadth of technology. So, um, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I, you know, what was funny is I was watching another one of your podcasts and one of the hosts was like, Oh yeah, here, you know, here in America, we just like, we just turn blind to the rest of the things that are going on. This is this is one of those things. Here we go. We're circling back to your other podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. I think that's coding cat. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I remember yeah. that conversation. <laughs> coding cat. That's that's right. Yeah, I mean, it is the reality because there are different experiences all over the world. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, I've just realized that there are more people doing the easier things as a result of the few people that have made the hard things easy. Right, and that's a great thing for our exploration and knowledge. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You changed my mind on this podcast. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm glad. <laughs> so what do you, I mean, what do you think is going to happen to, maybe, maybe, let's shift from the future of developers and back to the IDEs. How do you think the IDEs are going to change in the next, I know Code Sandbox is going to take over the world and we're all going to become servants to Code Sandbox. But besides that, <laughs> uh, how do you think IDEs are going to evolve in the next, let's say five years? Um, yeah, I mean, I think online IDs are just going to be very synonymous with development in general. Like, you won't even think about it. Uh, it's just the way I think we've gotten to a point where if you have, for example, any internet-connected phone, uh, for the most part, you have, like, a backup of your pictures on, on the internet, right? Like, for the most part of it. It's almost, like, de facto, <laughs> right? So um, as, a, as someone that's always been a fan of the web, because I've always pictured the web as regardless of any innovation that we come across like in the next generation or whatever, the web is always going to have a part to play because it's always accessible on literally any device. I can access a browser on my PlayStation, right? <laughs> like any any device would eventually have some kind of connection to a web setup or whatever at any point in time. And I think building for the web would always continue to evolve. And the way IDs would need to get to the point is that it would it will be so fast to build anything or to start anything off, um, which makes which means that browsers in their own right to be very powerful. Uh, I mean, they are quite powerful right now, but they will be even more powerful. And a few challenges that lies today is people thinking about how can they maintain connectivity 
uh, when it comes to you know, contributing code in IDEs, when they have like bad internet access or whatever, or just you know unreliable devices. Uh, and I think the, the point we would get to is where the obstacles just continue to reduce. That it just is almost seamless, where it's like a you know, very amount of. I mean, we want to get to a world where as many people as possible are connected with good internet. But regardless of where you are, even if you're like in a rainforest or whatever, away from internet, you will still be able to make use of some of these IDEs till you are connected again um, to an extent. So uh, I just picture a very seamless integration between our daily, everyday right, um, use with online IDEs and just being able to contribute code without even thinking if you're local or online. So almost, it sounds like it's almost like a reinvention of source control in a way. Uh, or not a reinvention, but an extension. Yeah, it is an extension, to be honest, because even Code Sandbox, we are leveraging a, a lot on what Git has built, right? Because um, a lot of our infrastructure is also built on that entire workflow, where, for example, today, if you build an application locally and you push it to GitHub, you can get your application from GitHub to Code Sandbox. Uh, or if you start out an application on Code Sandbox and you want to take it anywhere else or deploy it, you can create a GitHub repository. I mean, today, if you should start any project on Code Sandbox, it automatically creates a GitHub repository for you. So, like, we are constantly connected to source control because I feel like that's the is a is a strong technology that we built a foundation on on how people contribute code as as part of a team. And I don't think there's any reason to change that yet. I, I'm not sure if there are so many pitfalls of the current infrastructure, but I think it's amazing. It works well, uh, and we continue to improve on it. And I think that's just going to be the backbone of how people contribute uh, in the future as well. That's a really interesting distinction it's not the source control we're changing it's the platforms and infrastructure it runs on and how we interact with that yeah absolutely, absolutely. right on okay um so i guess if, if people wanted to like check out some ulterior ways to start or i don't want to call them ulterior but like more um serious ways to start using code sandbox other than something i might have done which is going to the browser and just looking at what other people do um they can go right from github to code sandbox or from code sandbox right into github today that's like something you can do with like a click of a few buttons yeah absolutely so if you have a github repository already you can get into code sandbox if you want to start with code sandbox uh we project especially literally any project you create that you create can be moved to code um, to github as well so it's it's a very connected workflow a very connected ecosystem where we make sure that your code your actual code is yours we just we just simplified like as much as possible, simplify the entire experience around you creating your code. So you don't have to think about setting up whatever. You just focus on your code and your code is yours. It sounds too easy to be true, but I, I love hearing how easy that is. Uh, it, is <laughs> it is true. <laughs> it is true. It is true. Um, well, I am kind of running up on time here, uh, Ace. Uh, if you Did you have any other like really exciting features that you wanted to like advertise out to people who might want to look at Code Sandbox? Yeah, I mean, Oktoberfest is coming up like next month. That's October. And I think if anyone wants to try like absolutely anything new and just it's a perfect opportunity to witness the power of Code Sandbox. And I'm not even talking about Code Sandbox like one of the Infinity Stones right now, even though it's probably one of it. <laughs> but it's 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 something that's going to literally change for maintainers and also for contributors either you're new or you know experienced. It, um, it just makes the entire open source um, process as simple as possible, right? Where So let me, let me give you a scenario where today, or I think last week I wanted to make contributions to the Nox repository. And all I needed to do was just, you know, 
change the URL in my browser because that's also another way to import projects into Code Sandbox. So I go to the GitHub repository and I just you know added the Code Sandbox URL in front, and I have like the entire documentation of Nox like just running in my browser. Like I could see the code and I could see like a, a dev environment set up like running for me. So all I had to do was just you know make the changes on on that tab and sending a PR. I could see what my changes look like. I could see what they were going to be rendered as. And I just sent in a PR like that in like a few minutes without having to worry about what my own local node version is, what my NPM version is, like none of those things. It just it just worked smooth and I just contributed in a go. So like imagine in the October first where you have to like make four contributions, you you spend less time worrying about what the infrastructure of the project you want to contribute to is, but more about this is what I want, this is the value I want to add to this project, and you just go straight for that value. So it's just going to maximize the efficiency and productivity of developers that that make the most of it. So yeah, that, I mean that sounds like such an open source supercharger. That's such a um, blocker for a lot of open source. It's like, how does this damn thing work? <laughs> uh, I know, right? Like, where's readme? Is documentation good? How can I get started? Like, it can really be a stick, stick in the mud, right? Or a, a, yeah. yeah. I mean that that example sold, sold me that 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 sounds great. You, I mean, you just go to the branch, you figure out your logic, you put up the PR all in one environment, and you and you see it run like you see what it looks like on the spot without having to like think about any complications. It just it just works. It is amazing to be honest. I mean, I use it so like it's not like I'm just selling something. It's something I use every single day. I don't have like a local environment set up whatsoever. I just go to my browser, make updates to my own website. We build Code Sandbox in Code Sandbox, so. <laughs> we call it code sunception. Sun yes, that's what we call it. <laughs> and for everybody listening, Ace is cheesing like he's in a photo shoot because he's so excited about. It. <laughs> that's, how, that's how you know this is he's legit. So it is legit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Ace, if people wanted, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say like I enjoy using it, and every single day I'm like, oh, this is something new that we've also added. This makes my life easy, and I want more people to like also experience that as well. So yeah, that's the reason for my excitement. <laughs> I mean, cool things are exciting too, just by nature. I mean, things that save me time make me excited. So, yep, I agree. Uh, well, Ace, if people wanted to follow you, are you on Twitter or Medium or any social platforms? Yeah, I am on Twitter, um, ACE underscore KYD. I think that's Alpha Charlie Echo underscore Kilo. I don't know what's for Y <laughs> and Delta. <laughs> so yeah, you can follow <laughs> me on, on Twitter at ACE underscore KYD. I have a YouTube channel as well um, where I just talk about my experiences, career and uh, tech-wise, um, and just lifestyle sometimes as well. And of course, you can definitely follow Cosanbox on YouTube and on Twitter as well just to learn more about things that we're building. We have like a lot of amazing excitement. Um, amazing and exciting announcements to make in a few weeks. Um, and like, since we announced the open beta, it's just been like back-to-back features, just trying to improve the entire, you know, platform for as many people as possible. So yeah, definitely check it out. Awesome, Ace. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for teaching me about so Code Sandbox. Like I just had no idea that it was this whole ecosystem. So I'm excited to go check it out myself. And yeah. Definitely. Let me, if you have any questions, just hit me up. We can definitely like talk about it as well. But I, I think you're just going to enjoy it so much as it breeze. Great. And hopefully we'll have you on again when, you know, Code Sandbox reaches and or you reach your next evolution. Yeah. That would be amazing. An absolute pleasure. Thank you.
Hey, this is Emily, one of the producers for Pod Rocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcast. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome Pod Rocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your 